This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. How many of y'all are kind of like me, and I'm disappointed that the lights came back on? I thought that was kind of exciting. I was looking forward to having a kind of an unplugged worship service. I'll leave that down there for now. Because it seems like it simplifies things sometimes, doesn't it? I hear people sometimes say, I wish we can go back to church the way it was. Well, we nearly did this morning, all right? But often we get things that have been crusted into the church. We get things that have been rolled into the church over the years. And sometimes we need to look back and see the simple message and the simple purpose of the church. And sometimes you'll hear the phrase, know Christ and make him known. And here's the thing, as you read the book of Acts, as you read the Gospels and all the letters from the different disciples, that's pretty much the bottom line of why the church exists. All the doctrine, all the theology, all the teaching, all of that is vastly and vitally important as we do the basic stuff, and that is knowing Christ and making him known. That is why the church is here. Yes, we have activities. Man, we had an amazing night last night. I think, you know, we we thanked uh, Deborah and Stephanie, but I think on behalf of them, I want to thank you, West Concord. You did an amazing job. You came out, you supported, you did the work. And listen, we had between four and 500 people come through here last night. And we were able to give the gospel in some form to most of those people, if not all of them, that came through. Last night, because we knew God, we made him known. And we can celebrate that. And as we gather this morning, as we come off of our Revelation series, as we have seen what's coming, what the rest of the story is, hopefully that gave us perspective to understand that our task is, as the church, to know him as deeply as we can and to make him known. Jesus left us two ordinances, and they're called ordinances, but two observations to remind us of those two basic things. And in a sense, what he did was he took the gospel, the good news, and he basically placed it in our hands in a literal sense. As we observe communion, the Lord's Supper, and we interact with the elements, and as we observe baptism this morning, as we take souls down into the water and bring them up, we are actually able to touch and experience the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're able to tangibly hold on to what that message is. And he gave us those two ordinances to remind us of our purpose. Because let's face it, we get busy. We get busy personally. We get involved in life. We get involved in raising our families, doing our jobs, enjoying our hobbies. We get busy. We get hustled and hassled. We're moving about. And oftentimes, even in the church, we get busy. It, It causes us to take our eyes off the main thing. 
which is why I'm a little disappointed the lights came on. We were going to do church anyway. And I tell you, that was great. Everybody was excited. And when I came out here and the lights came on and y'all applauded, I saw some of y'all doing this. Okay. <laughs> Even the kids were excited about it. And what I was most excited about is that we didn't need, and I appreciate lights, trust me. I especially appreciate air conditioning. Amen. I told my Sunday school class as we were talking about personalities, I don't have any celebrities or heroes, but I have to think the person that invented air conditioning would be pretty much up there. Okay. But you know what? 2,000 years ago when the church was first formed, there was none of this. Not even buildings. They worshipped wherever they could gather and sometimes in fear of their own safety. And yet the power of God was there. And all they had was the mandate to know Christ and to make him known. So that's what we're going to do this morning. A little bit different, a little bit unusual today. We're going to be talking about communion and baptism, and we're going to be observing communion and baptism. So what are these ordinances, or why did Christ give them? Well, the two primary ordinances of the evangelical church, the biblical church, they are the believer's baptism, and we call it believer's baptism because baptism does not save Baptism doesn't get anybody to heaven. You don't get baptized to be saved. You get baptized because you're already saved. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. And also communion or the Lord's Supper, as it's called. Again, no saving value or quality in the Lord's Supper. It is simply a memor, a memor, a commemor, it's, it's a thing we remember. My lights haven't quite come on yet. A commemoration, thank you. Both of these ordinances were prescribed by Jesus himself. These aren't things that the church came up with. These are things that Jesus left us. He prescribed them for believers to regularly practice in order to be tangibly reminded of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. And Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection is the gospel. It is the good news of salvation coming to humanity. And that is what we are here every Sunday to be reminded of. That's what we should be living in as we go through life. The knowing Christ part literally means that we should be so imbued with Jesus, that we should be so filled with him. And specifically his love for us, his sacrifice for us, his death on the cross for us. The fact that he came and left the splendor and glory of heaven to come down to this planet in the form of hum humanity, in the form of a man, to live among us, to at times suffer among us, to struggle among us, to interact with us. And then they took him, and despite the fact that he'd never done anything wrong, never committed sin, the only perfect human being to ever walk the earth, he allowed himself to be crucified. But that was all part of God's plan. You see, the thing is, humanity fell into sin back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, sinned against God. And because of that, we are all sinners. We're born in sin. We're conceived in sin. You don't sin because... You don't, you're not a sinner because you sin. You, you're, you sin because you are a sinner. You're born that way. You say, oh, pastor, that sweet, cute little baby in that little bassinet's not a sinner. Really? 
How many of y'all ever been woken up at two in the morning because that little sinner was hungry? I had two kids. I never heard somebody tap on my door and say, Father, I'm a little bit famished. Be something, otherwise I don't want to bother you. I don't remember that. Do you? Father, my diaper's a bit soiled. But if you don't have the time, that's okay. No, they scream. They're loud because it's me. I need me. I need my stuff. And for some, it never changes, does it? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's nobody in this room that is perfect, including and especially this pastor. That's why Jesus came. Motivated by pure love, God clothed himself in flesh, left heaven, descended to earth, was born of a virgin, lived encased in flesh, and then allowed that flesh to be broken, and he bled for you and I. And that's what we remember when we celebrate and commemorate the Lord's Supper. Again, communion does not have any saving qualities. And while some Christian traditions teach that in taking of the Lord's Supper, you sacrificed Christ yet again, that is not what the Bible tells us. In reality, communion or the Lord's Supper was part of the Passover meal. When Jews observe the Passover, even today... A portion of their meal is actually what we're doing this morning. Because their meal was a commemoration of God passing over them as the angel of death did not harm them if they had the doorposts of their home sprinkled with the blood of the sacrificial lamb. Because you and I have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus when we trust in him, the angel of death passes over us. And so in the Jewish family, they have bread that is broken and hidden until the oldest child finds it and brings it out. And there's also the cup of redemption. Jesus, in observing this meal with the disciples, signified the bread and the cup that night to be symbols of his broken body and shed blood. And he took that portion of the Passover and instituted it for the Gentile church, the church, so that we might remember and know him deeply, know of the price he paid, know of the difficulty he suffered, know the agony he experienced, not just in the broken flesh, but the humiliation of being nailed to the cross on display for all to see. The cup of redemption speaks of the blood of Christ. Leviticus in the Old Testament tells us that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And it is the blood that brings redemption. And so when we take of communion as believers in Jesus Christ, we are reminded of the price that was paid to buy our salvation. We are reminded of the blood that was shed to cleanse us from sin. And both of those things reminds us of the amazing love God has for us to do that. It's that deep knowledge of that sacrificial love that reminds us that God really does, as the song said, love us. Even when things get difficult, even when things get hard, we can look to the cross and remember that God loves us. So at this time, we're going to go ahead and do the Lord's Supper together. Now, this is for believers. If you have believed in Christ Jesus, 
please join us in this commemoration. And the Bible says the night before Christ was crucified that Jesus took the supper, that Passover supper, and designated these elements and prayed a special blessing over them. So I'm going to ask our associate pastor, Aaron Thomas, if he would, at this time, take a moment and bless the elements before we partake. While there isn't special power in what we're doing right now, God, we ask that you help us to take it seriously, that we think about what it is that we're doing, that we think about what has happened already on our behalf on a cross 2,000 years ago, but then also think about how that applies to today and how through Christ we have your Holy Spirit dwelling in us to empower us to live with you and for you. As we take these elements, we ask that you remind us of that, that you would change us more and make us more and more like Jesus. We love you. And as we're continued in the posture of prayer, just like you don't go to your dinner table without being washed, the Bible tells us that we must approach God's table, allowing God to cleanse us. So let's take another quiet moment as we approach God's table. And as we partake of these elements, to ask God to forgive us of those things that we have committed against him, those sins, and ask God to cleanse us and prepare us for this. Let's go ahead and take a, just a few minutes. Father, as we approach your table, cleanse our hearts and minds, Lord. You have said that if we come to you and confess our sin, you are faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin. And so, Father, we pray that you would do so now. And as we approach your table, may we come with pure minds and pure hearts to take of this wonderful meal. We thank you in Jesus' name. The Bible says that the same night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread when he was having supper and he blessed it and he broke it and said, this bread is, the, is, is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And our Father, as we consume this small portion of bread, small materially, small in our sight, Father, may we, may we be filled with it as we, as we remember the body that was offered for us on the cross. Father, I deserve nothing. And I thank you for allowing Christ's body to be broken for me. I thank you that you allowed him to, to take my place and to die for me. Thank you for the gift of Christ and his death on the cross. The Bible goes on to say that Jesus then took the cup after supper. 
And he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And our Heavenly Father, we thank you that through your blood, the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, that, Father, you sealed that covenant that you made, offering salvation to all who would come confessing their sin and believing and trusting in you. Father, it says also in Scripture, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And Father, I can't shed enough, but Father, your blood, the blood of your Son, covers and cleanses and washes away sin. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the broken body, the shed blood. We thank you for all that Jesus endured, all that he suffered, all that he gave. Father, so we won't have to endure, suffer, and ultimately give Father, thank you for providing salvation. May we know your love deeper because of this. May we appreciate your sacrifice more because of this. And Father, may we live lives to honor you and give you glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, in writing Galatians, we're studying Galatians on Wednesday night. And Paul brings out this idea, not in... Not in literal words, but he brings out the idea in the concept in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. In Galatians 2, 20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's exactly what we just remembered. That's exactly what we just commemorated. The fact that Jesus was crucified, the fact that he was broken and he bled for you and I. When we come to know Jesus Christ, in a sense, we die with him. We die to self. We die to this world. And so Paul, when he was speaking to the Galatian people, he said, I am crucified with Christ. That was the attitude of his heart. He wanted to know Jesus so deeply He wanted to know him so richly that he considered himself crucified with Christ. We often speak of Jesus' crucifixion. We often see representations of it, films of it, pictures of it. But the reality is when Jesus died on the cross, he died for me. He took my place. He took your place. And as I come to know him as my Savior, I am literally crucified with him. And I believe that sometimes the church in our, in our world seems so weak because we have forgotten that. We don't know him as we should. Even salvation, salvation is not believing just in Jesus Christ. It's literally believing on Jesus Christ. And the idea of Christ and God sacrificing so much That in itself ought to be transformative. Larnell Harris, a one-time Christian singer, used to sing the song called Much Too High a Price. And And the song basically says, He paid much too high a price for me to go on living as I've lived. He paid much too high a price 
for me. For me to just live as everybody else. The more we know of Christ, the deeper we acknowledge him, the richer and profound and strong our faith will grow. Paul again said, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. When Jesus died on the cross, when we come to know him as Savior, in a sense we die. Because here's the thing, dead people can't save themselves. Dead people can't earn and be religious and be good. Dead people are what? Dead. When you come and you cast your faith in Christ, in a sense you die to self, you die to the world, and you die with Christ. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but now Christ lives in me. And so communion, the Lord's Supper, remembers that, commemorates that, and reminds us again in this all-too-busy world the richness and depth of our Christian faith. That was the first ordinance that he left. He left us with another ordinance because that's internal. That is something we should reflect upon and dwell upon and internalize. That's internal. It's something very private. But the second ordinance is meant to be a public demonstration. Some years ago when I was youth pastor in Tampa, we took our students to a camp outside of Orlando. Camp had a big lake and some rivers around it uh, up there a little bit north of Orlando in Apopka, Florida. And I remember we had myself and two or three other youth leaders from different churches and organizations there. We had a couple of hundred teenagers. And it was a great camp. It was one of the camps I got scared to death because I went down in one of the things and went to go look at a, a, a flower and a mama alligator decided to introduce herself to me. I ran very fast for a young fat man, okay? Just going to tell you. But I also remember at that camp, one of the youth pastors, and he meant well. One of the young students, he wanted to get baptized. And so my colleague, my brother, went and took him off privately to one of the smaller areas of the lake and baptized him. And in a sense, you know, there's nothing morally wrong with that or anything. But in reality, that should have been done in the presence of the entire camp. Because baptism is a public identification. That's why we do baptism in the church. Communion is a very individual thing. You've got your own cup and your own bread. It's a very individual thing as we, as we take of that. It's an inter internal remembrance and reflection. But baptism is a pu public pronouncement, a public identity. When we take of communion, it literally speaks of us dying with Christ personally. But when we do the baptismal service, it speaks of that person saying, I am now going to walk with Christ publicly. Whenever I baptize children, especially young boys, but girls too, I often talk about sports. And I usually ask them, what is their favorite ball team? And they'll tell me, you know, the Bucks, they'll tell me the Panthers... They never say, yeah, they never say uh, Pittsburgh. I just don't understand. <laughs> but uh, they, where's Marvin? Okay. They say their favorite team. There you are. Love you, brother. 
See, I love Marvin because Marvin would do just about anything. Last night we were at the, at the, at the thing having the time together. And I said, man, it'd be great to get an aerial photograph. And I walked up with him and I said, Marvin, run up on the roof and take a picture. And Marvin was about to do it. <laughs> Marvin's all right. Marvin is all right. But I always tell the kids, you know, think of your favorite ball team. How do you, how do you tell who's playing for who on the field? Well, they're wearing the jersey. Okay, you can tell the teams apart because they're wearing jersey, where they're playing baseball, football, soccer, whatever. Well, when you get baptized, I mentioned to the kids, you're literally putting on Jesus' jersey. Okay, you're putting on Jesus' jersey. You're joining Team Jesus, and you're letting people know about it. You know, it's one thing to wear Christian t-shirts and jewelry and have Christian bumper stickers. But baptism is our way of every day, every moment, letting people know at one point, yes, I identify with Christ, I belong to Him, and He is mine. And so as we do baptism this morning, we need to remember that. And Jesus, at the end of His ministry, after He'd already been raised, He told His, his, his followers, His disciples, He said, now you go, therefore, in Matthew 28, He says, you go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So it's one thing to know Christ, and it's wonderful knowing Christ. It's great knowing that through Christ I'm saved and safe. It's great knowing that I have now a relationship and can have fellowship with God. It's great knowing that I am a child of God and part of that family. But we want to bring that message to other people. So he said, you go there, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That word baptize is interesting. It's actually not an English translation. It's literally a Greek transliteration. The Greek word is pa uh, baptizo, baptizo. And it means to whelm or to dunk. Interestingly enough, it's also used, for instance, when they wash their pots and pans. As a matter of fact, there's a portion of Scripture in the Gospel that talks about baptizing the pots and pans. But it doesn't use the English word baptize. It uses the word wash, but it's the same word. Because baptizo tells us that we are to take that person under the water to represent their death with Christ. Jesus died on the cross as we just observed in communion. And it also says that he came up, he rose again to new life. And in a sense, when we are baptized, we are commemorating, remembering, and proclaiming that indeed we have died with Christ, our old life, our old nature. And now as we come out of the water, we are becoming part of Team Jesus. We are, we are living a new life. We are wearing His jersey. We belong to Him. And it's a public declaration. Knowing Christ and making Him known. And so this morning, we are going to baptize. And so this morning as we get ready, I'd like to get some men, if they would, to come and help with the lid here. And get the lid off of our baptistry. And I'm going to ask if Chris Vehar would come forth. Where are you, Chris? And where's, where's Jonathan Martin? Come on, Jonathan. These gentlemen have come to be baptized this morning. And now Jonathan hasn't gone to the new members class, but he came and shared his desire to be baptized. And I talked with Jonathan and he, he, he made me confident that he knows Christ as his savior and he would like to be baptized. And Chris did come to the new members class. He lived through it talk, where he could talk about it. 
And uh, Chris and his family are uniting with us in membership. And if you respond, West Concord with a good hearty amen. amen. All right. And they are joining our church. And uh, these gentlemen are coming to be baptized. So I'm going to dismiss them to go to the back at this time. And get ready. And while they're going to the back, let me again remind you that baptism has no saving quality. One does not get baptized to be saved. One is baptized because they are saved. And the Bible tells us that baptism, again, is a public declaration. For instance, if you're here and hopefully you know Christ and you've been baptized, it's not just a one-time thing. Baptism and your baptism and identifying with Christ should now be evident in your life as you go to work, as you go to school, as you interact with your neighbors. It is something that tells people who and what you are. More so than just wearing Christian imagery and jewelry. More so than just playing Christian music. More so than just calling yourself a Baptist or a Methodist or whatever. It's not about the labels. It's about the life. And it's about the life that is surrendered. The Bible, as a matter of fact, said Jesus baptized not but his disciples. If baptism were there for salvation, he would have baptized everybody he could see. Paul said there are certain people he did not baptize. But baptism is very important. And so as these men are getting ready, would you bow with me in a word of prayer as we ask God to bless this. And our Heavenly Father, as we gather together this morning... Father, we thank you again for the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that through that sacrifice, we can know you. Not just know about you, but, Father, that we can know you deeply, intensely, intimately, and personally. Because Jesus died to take the blame for our sin. He was buried and rose again from the dead. He went down into the earth and came back up alive. Father, as we baptize these men this morning, we praise you for their decision to know Christ as Savior. And now, Father, we rejoice in them declaring this knowledge, making Christ known to these who are gathered, those who are watching online, those who they will celebrate with today. And I pray, Father, that as they're baptized this morning, that truly this knowledge not only would stop here, but they would continue to make Christ known as newly risen believers. Bless them, Lord, and bless their families. And thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's start with Chris. Are you ready yet, Chris? I didn't give him much time. They're probably scrambling right now. All right. Thank you, sir. And so as they're coming, uh, I tell you, baptism is an exciting thing. I've had the privilege of baptizing many. I remember the first person I baptized was, where's Robert Canada? Robert Canada, he's, he's the first person I ever baptized. And, and what's that? At the door. At the door. And uh, when we bought this baptistry, Robert was here when it was delivered. And he said, I, I said, I wish I had somebody to try it out. Robert said, I got trunks in my truck. Let me go get them. I'll put them on. So Robert came and I got to baptize him again. But the second time I whacked the back of his head right here just went down and went bam and got him back up and he had his, he he praised the lord that he was still alive after that brother chris so we're excited about chris vehar coming and hum, come on up brother i don't know what the temperature of the water is
but it might make you say hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, sit down there. And we are excited. Chris and his family, again, they've been visiting us and they went through the new members class and his wife and kids, they've joined West Concord Baptist Church. And Chris has been saved. He's been saved a while, but he wanted to go ahead and, and be baptized and give God the glory. And so we're excited about that decision, brother. We really are. And so, Chris, let me ask you a question. Do you know Christ Jesus as your Savior, and have you trusted in him and him alone as your only hope for heaven? He said he does, and he is. So my brother Chris, I therefore baptize you upon your confession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. <laughs> All right. God bless you, brother. How's my hair? <laughs> Not a hair out of place. Jonathan, come on, brother. Jonathan Martin has been visiting West Concord Baptist Church. And Jonathan has yet, as I said earlier, to go through the new members class, but you don't have to be a member to be baptized here at West Concord. And Jonathan came to me Wednesday night, and uh, Jonathan communicated to me that he wished to be baptized, so we had to talk, and I, and I quizzed him on, do you know Christ as Savior? Have you trusted Him and only Him? And asked him, peppered the poor rascal with a lot of questions, because I want to make sure if I baptize him, they're ready. And he communicated to my satisfaction that he knows the Lord Jesus as his personal Savior and has trusted him. And so we rejoice in his decision that he has made. Do you want to go down there with your glasses on, brother? Or? I can't. You're go hey, we'll do it. We'll do it. That way you can see what's happening. All right. I get it. So let me ask you in front of this company, do you know Christ as your Savior and have you trusted Him and only Him as your personal Savior? I do. All right, Jonathan, my dear brother, based upon your confession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There we go. Outstanding. Just as I was got ready to take him down, one of the kids down here said, oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. So praise the Lord. And people are saying, oh, there's water getting on the carpet. That's baptismal pool water. That's good stuff. All right. We're not going to worry about that. And so Paul, when he was writing to the Galatian people, he told them that not only do I know Christ and I have been crucified with him, but he goes on to say in verse 20, he says, And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who has loved me and gave himself for me. That is making Jesus known. Paul was crucified with Christ. He knew Jesus. He understood the price that Jesus paid for him. He understood that Jesus' body was broken. His blood was shed. And he understood that in dying on the cross, Jesus took the blame and paid the price for his salvation. I am crucified with Christ. And then he said, the flesh now that I've been crucified with him, now that I know him, the life that I now live in the flesh, he said, I live for Jesus Christ. 
And Paul certainly did. His life was a commemoration of Christ. His life, he lived for the purpose of telling others about Jesus. He lived for the purpose of communicating that good news. Let me tell you something, church. These ordinances were given so that we might also be like Paul. So that we might also not only know Christ, the depth of his love, the richness of his sacrifice, the wonders of his grace. Not only should we know that individually and deeply, but we should do everything we can to live out our life in making him known. To make sure that people see Christ in us. To make sure that we live our lives focused on bringing people to Christ. So Paul, he again, he communicates it. Galatians 2.20. You and I need to memorize this verse. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but now Christ lives in me. And then he goes on to say, the life I live now in the flesh... He basically said that I live to the glory of God. He said, the life I now live by in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Knowing Christ and making him known. That's what we've done this morning. So while there is not a supernatural mystical power in these ordinances, and there's not. The juice is juice. The bread, it might be bread. Okay, I don't know what that is. Um, that's just water. There's nothing special or supernatural about it. What makes these elements significant is what they symbolize. They help keep us on track. They remind us of our scriptural truths. They give us experience to look forward to beforehand and to look back afterward on. And they allow us to... look at Listen to this. This is profound. They allow us to touch and feel the gospel in ways that we normally just hear about. This morning, we were able to touch and feel the good news of Christ. It's not just a story. It's not just a a, a doctrine. These aren't just platitudes. We were able to take of the bread and the juice. The, The candidates were able to feel the water, the cleansing aspect of the water. Christ wants us to do those things, to feel them. Ordinances like these put the gospel in our hands. And that's exciting. So as we finish this morning, we want to be reminded by these ordinances that they enable us to more deeply know Christ. When we pull aside and we take of the cup and of the bread to know his love. And then to more excitingly make him known. We're washed, we're cleansed, we're we're risen with Him. We have new life in Christ. And West Concord Baptist Church, that's what we're out to do. Or at least we should be. You know, as I look at the congregation, I see all the red t-shirts out here. That's not Duke Power representatives. Those (laughs) Those are hell fighters of Concord. And I praise the Lord for your ministry. Amen. Because you are out there knowing Christ and making him known. And I pray that West Concord could do the things that you do and we can do them together. And so I ask you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, first, are you here? Do you know Christ? Have you trusted him? Have you placed your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ as your only Savior? The Bible says there's nothing we could do to earn it. 
There's nothing good we can do to get it. This doesn't save us. We need to come to him by simple faith, acknowledging, owning our sinfulness, acknowledging and confessing our inability to save ourselves, and we need to cast our full faith in Christ and on him. If you've never trusted him, I pray that you'll do that this morning, and then you will know him. And what about it, my brother and sister in Christ? You know him, but are you making him known? If you've been baptized and washed, are you making him known? Is that baptism becoming something that is tangible in your life? Have you trusted him and now are you living for him? Last night was amazing. We were able to make Christ known. But the challenge starts tomorrow morning. Will you go and make him known? Wouldn't it be great to continue to fill this auditorium up with people coming to Christ? Let's know him and make him known. Standing together as we close in prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.